If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And uh, Jen, somebody in the back will get you a blue Bible. We're in Mark chapter 9. If you are um, new with us today or unfamiliar with the Bible, Mark is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And uh, we're going to go to chapter 9, which are the big numbers, verse 2. Mark chapter 9. Today we're going to read from our text, starting in verse 2 through verse 8. Follow along as I read Mark 9, 2 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. This passage is the literally the halfway point between smack dab in the middle of the gospel of Mark. And all of the gospel, all of Mark sort of swings like a hinge on this passage, this passage right here. These, these two words sum up, sum up the entire message of the gospel of Mark. Two words that sum up uh, the good life. Two words that the Father wants you to hear this morning, I think. Two words that the Holy Spirit is constantly whispering to your hearts, and that, that is Jesus only. The last two words of this text, Jesus only. Jesus only. The two words that drove the Apostle Paul through his conversion, but also through his mission, his crazy, dangerous mission, his life that he lived for Christ Jesus only drove the Apostle Paul as he was writing the scriptures through shipwrecks and snake bites and near-death experiences and continued to give him joy in those moments. Jesus only drove John on the island of Patmos as he as he was writing the book of Revelation and as he saw the lamb which was slain led in the middle of the worship circle and everything goes crazy. Jesus only got him excited. Jesus only also caused John to weep. Uncontrollable weeping as he considered the billions of people who will spend their lives as if Jesus only does not matter and they live eternity in torment. 
But then that same truth, Jesus only, these same two words led John back to this crazy place of praise, unspeakable words, as he saw the king make his home with mankind. Jesus only are these two words that this morning can lead you from a life of, uh, living a life of absorption with life's problems, life's difficulties, life's distractions, can lead us away from overvaluing temporal things like, like celebrities and undervaluing our own souls. When understood and believed, these two words what can transform us, they will transform us as they transformed the first disciples. And so we're picking up here at the center of the Gospel of Mark. Everything now is swinging like a hinge on this. Uh, the, the very central theme of the Gospel of Mark is swinging like a hinge on these two words. And we pick up in this story what's known as the transfiguration. And I gotta be honest, I've never preached from this passage before. And Ben, could you pull that big refrigerator out and unplug it? All right, I did it last week. Thank you. We're not gonna take that. This. Um, just pull it out, big one. Um, the other side. Thank you. All right. Forgot what I, what I was saying. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, thank you. You guys are listening, I love it when you're listening. I've never preached this because this is a crazy huge passage, all right? I called up one of my old pastor friends and I said, hey, have you ever preached on the transfiguration? He was like, I don't think I have, never have. And as I was like studying for this, as I'm working through this passage, honestly, there is so much here. There are so many different places we could go with it. There are so many conclusions we can come out of it. There are so many applications we can draw out of it. We could literally be here for the next four hours and just be absorbed in this, in this passage and drawing out truths and parallels and applications. And so I'm trying then to boil it down this morning to the essence. And so we're not gonna be here for four hours, all right? Tops, two, two and a half hours. Um, and then I'll let you go after that. They're, they're overwhelmed by this, this cloud, which is known all throughout the Old Testament as the glory, as the Shekinah, as a presence of God. They're overwhelmed with this cloud. They, they hear this voice boom from the heavens. This is my son, and who, who I love. Listen to him. They see Jesus in all of his glory. They see the infinite. They see what is timeless, his, Jesus' timeless nature as he interacts with the, the Old Testament saints and as he interacts with God the Father. They see, they see the sum of, of everything that he is and everything that life could be. They see absolute beauty and radiance, power over all of the universe unveiled. What if after, after seeing this, after just being so caught up in this grand like cosmic moment, the cloud goes away, the voice goes away, they look back down, and, and Jesus is gone. Elijah's gone, Moses disappeared, and Jesus somehow in the midst of all the craziness and all of the excitement, just getting a glimpse, they're finally seeing like Jesus is, Jesus is everything. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is all that we need, and they see it and they get it, and they look back down, and he's slipped away. How, how sweet 
it must, it must have been for the disciples to see Jesus right there. Imagine. Imagine if, if they had to walk down the mountain alone. Jesus led them up there only to leave them on the mountain. And they have to make the trek back home alone without Jesus. They have to then face the religious leaders and have no answer. They're, they're confronted with the demon possessed and they don't have the power of Jesus with them and so they are overwhelmed by the darkness. And then they simply have to muster up enough, enough courage to just get through the rest of their lives alone and face death with, with no hope of the world to come? What if in this moment, when everything quieted down, they looked back and Jesus had slipped, slipped away? Imagine, just, just try to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine how sweet it must have been to see Jesus right there. And then to walk back down the mountain with Jesus. Jesus only. These two words that out of all the places we could go with this text, these two words are going to define my sermon this morning. These two words, I hope, define the culture of our church. These two words, Jesus only, define the way that we live. And I, and I, and I hope that they define you this morning. I recognize that um, <clears throat> on, ev- and on any given Sunday morning, some of you are here and you're beat up. Life is, is not rosy. To, to, look at, to look at Jesus this morning, to, to say, Jesus only, Jesus is all, Jesus is all that we need is not to downplay life's problems. As a pastor, I, I get like a full taste of life's problems. Everybody say yuck. I mean, I get a full taste, not only of my own problems in my own life, but of everybody else's, right? I mean, it's what we do. It's what we sort of signed up for. As shepherds, you, you not only get to hug the sheep, but you also get to step in their poop, right? <laughs> I mean, I, as an example, I was, sitting with, I was sitting with a man not too long ago, a husband, whose marriage is literally falling apart. I mean, it's, it's all but ended. And as he's telling me his story, as I'm listening to this, this, this man and wife, this, this couple that is falling apart. Like, honestly, the emotions within me, I'm like getting worked up, all right? I'm trying to hold back tears as he's talking, and he's cold about it. Like, there's like no emotion there. And then I, and then I go home, and I walk into my house, and I make sure everything is good in my own family, Right? Problems. I mean, th- th- this is life. I was called not too long ago by a friend who, um, who their, their neighbor 
a 12-year-old girl was in the hospital dying. She had a few days left, um, dying of cancer. And I was called and asked to go to the hospital and to pray with the girl. So I'm, I'm there at the hospital, Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University. And literally, I'm just like looking at this 12-year-old girl. Her, she, her head is bald. She has lumps coming out of her head. She has literally a few days left to live. I'm looking at a mom and a dad who are about to lose their 12-year-old little girl. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, please just like give me something, you know, like, so I, I mean, I, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus comes to my lips. I talk about life. I talk about forgiveness. I talk about hope beyond this world. As I talk about these things, this little girl, she kind of gets tears in her eyes. And then her, I think it was her aunt, it was a family friend or her aunt chimes in honey, you don't have to worry about this stuff. You don't have sin. Like, we live life not on the mountaintop in the valleys. Marriages that are falling apart, bills that need to be paid. Today's tax day. Did you guys know that? Some of you are like, oh my gosh. I do have problems. (laughs) Don't, just wait until the sermon's over and then you can go pay your taxes, all right? Jobs that can't be found, rent that can't be paid, daughters that are in the hospital dying. Friends, I, I don't want to give you like a truth this morning that is only relevant once your sufferings are over. I don't want to give you something that's like, all right, I'm in the trenches, I'm in the valley, and once I'm out of the valley, once I'm like up, back up on the mountaintop, once this stuff is taken care of, this stuff will then be relevant. Then I can have this kind of joy, I can have this kind of happiness. I don't want to give you something that's not relevant right now in the sufferings, in the midst of the valley. I want to give you something this morning, lead you to a truth, it's the only truth that, that has carried me through my own times of suffering, the times of walking in the valley. The idea this morning as we look at this text, the transfiguration, I want to like get, I want to try, this is what I'm going to try to do, all right? I want to try to get your attention, all right? And then point you up the mountain, all right? So you can like walk up the mountain with Jesus. And when you get there, I want you to see Jesus in all of his radiance and his splendor and his beauty and his glory, all right? This, the, the big phrase that I want you to get today is this. When we look at Jesus, we see all we need. When we look at Jesus, we see all we need. And we see this in two different ways, and this is what I want you to see this morning. It's first seen in his radiance. It's seen in his beauty. It's seen in his glory. And then secondly, it's seen in his relationship with and prominence over the Old Testament heroes. And that's like a big one, all right? Big wordy, we'll get to that. I want to break it down. Well, we, when, we, when we look at Jesus, we see all that we need. So I, I want you to be pointed up the mountain this morning. I want you to see Jesus at the top of the mountain, transformed. And then I want to bring you back down the mountain. I want you to see that as you come back down the mountain, everything else is gone 
and you have Jesus only, and that that's enough for you because of what you've just experienced. The only thing that matters is Jesus. Jesus only can rescue us this morning. It can transform us today, not, not after our suffering, but as we go through it in the midst of our suffering. When we look at Jesus, we see all that we need. When the eyes of our heart are opened, as I pray your eyes will be today, when the eyes of your heart are opened, and you see the radiance and the splendor and the glory that is Jesus, what you find there is everything that you need. I want to, let's just pray actually. I want to stop right here and pray and ask God to open our eyes in that way today. God, as we dive into this really uh, heavy text, um, I pray that it's not too heady, that it, this isn't something that's just abstract or idealistic, but that I pray, I pray that as we dive into Mark chapter nine here, as we sort of walk up the mountain and as we're confronted then with the, with the radiance and the splendor and the glory and the beauty of, of Jesus, I pray that you're, you're, you're first of all, I, I pray that you will open our, the eyes of our heart, uh, hearts to that truth, to Jesus. And then as we see him, I pray that we'll be, we'll be reminded of this truth, that he is all that we need, and then lead us back down, in the, down the mountain and let Jesus go with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, verse two, chapter nine. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. After six days, from what? Any takers? What happened six days ago? Literally, seven days ago for us. <clears throat> Easter, actually. Jesus predicted his death. I mean, do you remember this last week? For those of you that were here last week, to, to Peter and to James and John and all the other disciples, he says, look, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die then I'm gonna be resurrected. Peter has a big problem with this. He's like, no, you cannot suffer. We won't let that happen. You can't die. Then it says after six days from that conversation, Jesus leads them up the mountain. Jesus wants to show them something. He wants, to, he, he, after this receiving sort of this, this stunning kind of blow, he wants to show them something of who he is. Um, so that they will believe, so that they will take something away, and also that they'll know this. While the cross is where Jesus is heading, okay? While the cross is where he's heading, while our call is to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus on the road to Calvary, the cross is not the goal. The goal which the cross gets us to, the cross sort of picks us up and throws us to the goal. The goal is the glory and the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of God, which causes us to just drop to our knees, fall to our knees, and in the midst of, of whatever we're going through, to, 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 to see him, to praise him. 
And so Jesus here, as, he's, as he recognizes, this is a tough truth for these guys, that I'm going to die. They're about to go through some very difficult times. He's taking them up the mountain so he can give them a glimpse of himself. A glimpse into a truth that will lead them back down the, the mountain, his radiance. His, his radiance will be for the disciples a reminder of who he is, a reminder of the goal, a reminder of where we're going toward, of who Jesus is, of, of what, what comes after the crucifixion. <clears throat> the word transfigured. Um, well, first of all, let me, let me say this. When I, when I was a kid, um, I used to go to plays. I wasn't like a, uh, what's the word, thespian, right? Um, but my parents would take me to plays occasionally. And we would go, especially every Christmas time, we would go and see A Christmas Carol, right? The story of Scrooge. Anybody seen it? Um, we would go see A Christmas Carol. And I remember I, I loved being in the theater in that, that moment where everything is just dark. Everything's like pitch black and, you know, you can't see anything. And the main character has sort of walked on the stage, Right? but you don't know it because it's all dark. And then out of nowhere, this, this light just like comes, bam, right down on the main character, all right, spotlight. And there he is like in the middle, like all of a sudden we, we see the main character. Now, that is not actually what's happening here, all right? I wanna try to break this word transformed or transfigured down for you. It comes from the Greek word metaphao. Does anybody know what word we would get from that? Metamorphosis, which brings along with this connotation of a transformation that begins on the outside or begins on the inside? The inside. The idea of transformation or transfiguration always refers to a change that doesn't come from the outside in, but it comes from the inside out. And so what we see here then is that this, 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 this light, look at verse three. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. This light that's like just all over the place, this causing his clothes to become bleached whiter than your household bleach will bleach your underwear, he is completely just transformed. This is the main character up on the stage. The room is black. There's no spotlight. And all of a sudden, bam, he's transfigured. And, and like light is pouring out from within him. This blinding light, this, this light that just bleaches the clothes that he's wearing. He's transformed from the inside out and we get a glimpse and Jesus is giving his disciples a glimpse of, get this, who he actually is. Like a little glimpse into who Jesus really is. Charles Spurgeon, my man, put it this way. He said, for Christ to be glorious was almost less a matter than for him to restrain or hide his glory. He said, it is forever his glory that he concealed his glory and that though he was rich, for our sakes, he became poor. What's stunning, he's saying, is, is not that radiance was coming from Jesus, that this God kind of glory was just like 
overwhelming him from the inside out and just bursting forth. He's saying that's not actually the shocking part. The shocking part is that Jesus lived 33 years and was able to hide this kind of glory. He was able to live as God on earth as a man. And in verse 9, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, don't, don't tell anybody about this until after the resurrection. As if to say, I think, uh, don't, 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 let's not distract from what's happening, what's coming. Let's not distract from the crucifixion and then the resurrection that's coming after that. But after the resurrection, I want you to tell this story over and over and over again so that people may see me in my radiance, may know who I am. I believe that Jesus wants us to be here today on April 15th, 2012, reading this story and, and seeing it as if, the, as if we were there and catching a glimpse of his radiance and his splendor and his beauty so that we too may be transformed. You see, when we catch Jesus in his splendor and his transformation, what happens is that we are so overwhelmed by that that we are transformed not from the outside in, but from the inside out. I think of Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this, this world, but be, and it's the same word as transfigured, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus wants us to be here today, being hit with his glory, with his splendor, so that we may be transformed. The veil comes off. We see him as, as he is, and then we are moved in that same way. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, same word, into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How can a mom or a dad whose 12-year-old girl is laid out and about to die, how can they face this? How, like, how can they go forward if they don't catch a glimpse of who Jesus is? If they don't see Jesus? How can a, a husband and a, and a wife who are struggling to like hold things together, how can they find the motivation and the courage that they need to keep pushing forward and to keep fighting and keep loving unless they've seen Jesus, unless they, they've seen this kind of transformation, unless they've caught his splendor and his beauty, and then that, that, that same splendor and that beauty has transformed them. How can the, the unbelieving world see Jesus in his splendor, in his glory, unless we are transformed? unless we, as a local church, are transformed in such a way that, that we display his glory. You see the spotlight illustration? Going back to Scrooge, right? Spotlight illustration? That's actually the correct illustration for us as a church. See, a spotlight shines into the darkness, right? And what happens when it shines on something in the darkness? That something reflects the light. You see, we as a local body, as a church, as a local church, 
are to be so transformed by Christ, by his transformation, we are to be transformed that when the light comes from him, that glory radiates off of him, it is to hit us and reflect off of us in such a way that the unbelieving world looks at us and says, wow, Jesus is glorious. That's beautiful. This is why, this is why uh, it, it, it's important that those who are members of the church are regenerate, are transformed, are made new. Someone who's not regenerate, someone who has not been transformed by the gospel and made new is nothing more than a wolf in sheep's clothing. And wolves in sheep's clothing who are leading churches and who are members of churches do not reflect the radiance of Christ. Wolves in sheep's clothing who are leading and, and, and filling churches only create churches that hurt people. I met a man this last week who is, in his words, burned by the church over and over and over again. He's now just sort of living in darkness, making up his own theology, doing his own thing not connected with anybody, believing that the church is absolutely irrelevant for his life. He's been burned over and over and over again. Do you know how many times I meet people with that same story? It's because they're, they're part of churches that aren't reflecting the radiance of God's glory. Guys, this is not who we are going to be. We are going to be a people who see Jesus on the mountaintop and we are transformed by that Jesus. We're made new by that Jesus. And then we as a body reflect that Jesus. Thank you. Can I get another amen? Amen. The fact that Jesus is all that we need is first seen here in his radiance, in his glory, in his splendor. And then secondly, this is a mouthful, it's seen in his relationship with and his prominence over the Old Testament heroes, all right? And I might say, and everyone else, every one of us, all right? It's seen in his relationship with and prominence over the people that, the hands that God used to write the Bible, all right? Look at, look at the next verse in verse four. And there appeared to them, Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, all right? If you were the disciples right now, what would your response be? What? That's Elijah and Moses. These are like our heroes. These are the people we read and stuff. Like, I memorized all five books that Elijah wrote, or that Moses wrote. Like, oh my God. It's Elijah and Moses. And they're there. Your heroes have showed up, all right? Moses, who, remember Moses with the burning bush? Jesus, by the way, spoke to Moses way back then in the burning bush, right? And then, then God calls Moses to lead the people out of Israel. He, he, the powerful leader leads them out of, or, I'm sorry, out of Egypt and then into Israel, out of slavery through the wilderness and into the promised land. 
through which God gave the law? There's Moses right there. And Elijah? Fire bolts from heaven coming down like, I'm sure they heard the stories when they were kids of Elijah who's just like bravely defending their God in front of Baal worshipers, bringing down fire from heaven and crazy stuff, all right? Taken up in a whirlwind. And there he is, Moses and Elijah. But who is the central figure? Who did they show up to talk with? Think of it from their perspective. Elijah in 1 Kings, way back in the day, 1 Kings 19, verse 11, Elijah's like wanting to see a glimpse of God. And, he, and, and it says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And Elijah just got like a glimpse of the Lord. And now he is standing face to face with the Messiah who he was longing for. Or think of it from Moses' perspective. Remember Moses up on Mount Sinai. Again, begging to see just a glimpse of God's glory and God passes by and closes Moses' eyes and then opens his eyes right when Moses gets a glimpse of his back. And now here Moses is standing, not facing his back, but face to face with the King of glory, with the Messiah So here, the disciples are just observing this. And they're like, I mean, if anything would speak to the reality that Jesus is, in fact, the true Messiah that they have been longing for, it is this picture right here. His relationship with these these Old Testament heroes and then prominence over the Old Testament heroes. Now, Peter, Peter wants to stay, right? And at this point, like, wouldn't we all, like, of course he wants to stay. Like, who would want to be like, all right, I'm going to go back down the mountain. I'll catch you guys later, right? Peter's like, let's not ever leave this place. I think we found a good place to stay, right? Like, you're talking about the cross. You're talking about the crucifixion. You're talking about death. I think this is kind of nice right here. I think we should just stay. Look at, look at his response in, in uh, verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. This is really good right now. Let's just build some shelters, some tents, some tabernacles where you guys can all just kind of hang out and s- let's just stay right here. See, guys, this, this leads us then to our, uh, our biggest distraction. When we catch Jesus in his radiance, when we catch a, a glimpse of who Jesus really is, this be- then becomes our biggest distraction from being able to, uh, to live in this world as if Jesus only is the reality of our hearts. Our biggest distractions, distraction is that we want to stay on the mountain. We catch the glimpse, we're there. Please don't let me leave this spot. Don't send me, don't send me back down the mountain. I was at a conference um, earlier this year, last fall, 
with, uh, down in Atlanta with my, my wife and my brother was there and some, some garden people. And we were down in Atlanta just like listening to people share the word and we were just like absorbing it, taking in the word and we were singing together and having conversations together and I was having conversations with my, with my brother who I don't get to see very often and having a good, good time with my wife and just enjoying, enjoying God in this mom- these moments where like, the radiance and the splendor and the beauty of Jesus was like seen. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know how you have these moments you're like, wow, like it is undeniable. I'm seeing Jesus. The eyes of my heart are now opened. And there was a a moment in in this conference while I was down there, I was like, God, don't send me back down the mountain. (laughs) I'm a thousand miles away right now from the grind of Baltimore, from life in the valley, you know, waking up in the morning, entering into the struggles of mankind, a thousand miles away from marriages that are falling apart, kids that are in the hospital. And I, I'm, I'm just tasting that Jesus is good right now. And I'm like, God, why, why can't I just stay right here? Why can't we just stay like, boom, Let's build some shelters. I'll camp out. See, Jesus doesn't want us to stay on the mountain. It wasn't, I want you to see God's response actually. Look at verse seven. Look at God's response to Peter. A cloud overshadowed them. A cloud always in the Old Testament referred to the very presence of God. A cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, or this is the son whom I love. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now think about this really quick. Side note here. Um, Peter and James and John, they went up the mountain with who? Jesus. Um, So they they already know Jesus is up there, okay? Okay. what they would have been stunned by is that Moses and Elijah just showed up, right? I mean, if the voice of God, cloud comes over, voice booms down. If anything, don't you think that the voice would introduce Moses and Elijah? Like, this is Moses. This is Elijah, right? I mean, Moses and Elijah have just popped up. They're standing there. The voice of God comes over them. The, the, the presence of God, the vo- voice booms down doesn't even mention Elijah and Moses. All of the focus in this moment, just like the weight, just is on Christ. He says, this is my son. I want you to listen to him. And what has Jesus called us to do? I mean, if our, if our call as believers, as we experience the radiance, as we catch who Jesus is, what is our call? It's not to stay on the mountain. It's to listen to him. It's to follow him, to go wherever he goes, to serve whoever he serves, to love whoever he loves. It's to follow him back down the mountain. 
The last words in, that Jesus speaks, Mark chapter 14, a couple verses later, or a couple chapters later, Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Our call is not to remain on the mountain. Our call, even right now as God is opening our eyes, the eyes of our heart to the radiance and the beauty and the glory of Christ. Our call is to listen to him and he is calling us back down the mountain. To follow Jesus up Calvary. From one mountain to the other. To come down this mountain and to go up the next. See, the mission of God that Jesus was on could not be accomplished on this mountain. Amen? Jesus couldn't stay there. Like Peter still even, well, Peter's like, hey, let's, let's not leave. Let's stay right here. Peter wasn't getting it in this moment. The mission of God could not be accomplished if they just stay on this mountain. There was another mountain that God had in mind, Mount Calvary. So they come down this mountain and they go up the next to be on the mission of God and Jesus is calling us down the mountain for one purpose, back into the valley for one purpose. And that is to be on mission, to go into all the world, preach the gospel to the whole creation. He doesn't take us up the mountain to keep us there. He takes us up the mountain and he opens himself up. He takes off the veil. He lets us see, lets us see him as he is so that we may be reminded that he alone is worth living for. That he alone is worth dying for. That he alone is worth us leaving our friends and our families and our comforts and spreading the gospel. The 2.8 billion people who live in this world today who have no opportunity to respond to or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ do not live on the mountain. They live in the valley. And so we're not called to sit, we're called to come back down. The thousands of children in Baltimore who are in need of adoption do not live on the mountain. They live in the valley. And so we're called to come back down the mountain. The 12-year-old girl who was dying of cancer, she's not on the mountain. She's in the valley. And so we come back down the valley, into the valley. The man whose marriage is falling apart. And he, if there's anything that can keep them together, it is Jesus only. That man is not on the mountain. We're called to come back down the mountain. If, for, for many of you, um, just even walking out of here, going back into life, is going back down the mountain. For some of you, I mean, it, it varies. For some of you, it might be um, problems in the home. It could be a, a poor economy. But for all of us, for all of us, it is entering into the struggle of humanity. 
It's, it's going into the darkness, entering back into the darkness, and there in the darkness, reflecting the radiance and the glory of Jesus Christ. Imagine if when the disciples looked back, the cloud disappeared, the voice was gone, the lights were gone, Elijah and Moses were gone, and the disciples look back. Imagine if Jesus wasn't there. They would have had to go down the mountain alone. But see, Jesus was there. And Jesus' message to every single one of us today is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And, and, and what, what you need to know is as you walk back down the mountain, you have Jesus. For, for some of you, for some of you, you're, you're dead. You're, you're dead, I mean, not physically, but spiritually. You're, you're dead in, in your sins. And as you walk down the mountain, you have to understand that Jesus actually isn't with you. And so your call as you are, are walking out of this place, as you've just experienced, as, you, as, you, as you've tasted the beauty and the radiance of Christ, as you see that he is all that you need, your call is the same call as that little girl who with tears in her eyes didn't listen to her counsel and God rescued her that day. Jesus only. Your call is to repent and your call is to believe. And for those of you who do believe, since when was Jesus not enough? I mean, honestly, since when in your life? For those of you who truly have been transformed and you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, since when was he not enough? Since when did you need something more? The question I'll leave you with today is, as we walk out of here, Jesus only, Jesus only, will you trust? Will you trust in that? So let's go down the mountain together with Christ by our side. Amen? Pray with me. God, we thank you for this opportunity to, to come into Mark chapter 9, and I pray that, um, that anything that was said out of my own strength or my own ideas will just be forgotten, and that your, uh, your truth will be treasured, and uh, above all, that Christ will be treasured, that he will be seen, that he, he will be glorified this morning uh, as, as you have opened uh, the eyes of our hearts to who Jesus is today. I ask that you solidify that. And uh, if there is someone here who is dead in their sins, that they repent and that they look to Jesus and they, they, they find salvation, they find life. And for God, for those of us that believe, who are walking with Christ, yet we, we forget that he's all that we need and we actually think that he's not enough. Pray that we repent of that and that we cling to Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.